We're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. No worry. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Everything's going to be okay. Just say that to me here this morning. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, everything's going to be okay. Turn the person next to you and say, hey, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Do that real quick. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. You got coffee. <laughs> I do too, Claire. Right here. You got your coffee? The, oh, you don't? I do. Sorry for you. Okay. I'm ready. Woo! So it's a beautiful day. Good to have you with us. And uh, so this teaching series has been uh, really about letting your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's something that happens to people's lives when they encounter Jesus. We don't obey him to get his blessing. We have his blessing, therefore we obey him. Therefore we let our light shine because we are radiating the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. Pretty, pretty amazing when you begin to understand the Christian life. It's, it's pretty stunning. It's stunningly, irresistibly beautiful. When you begin to understand what Jesus has done for us, I mean, you can indeed say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. You, you can actually say that based on the, the fact of God's word and who God is and what he's done for us. And you can rest in him. And so we want to learn how to let our light shine before men so that they can see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That's what this series is about. And we're going to talk about worry because I believe that those who are walking in vital union with Jesus Christ have less anxiety and less worry than those that, that aren't walking in vital union with him. Anxiety, worry is the most prevailing quality of our modern culture. Maybe you've heard the story of the guy who worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. He found, he found a man who agreed to be his hired worrier for a salary of $200,000 per year. How many would like to take that job right there? Maybe not. After, after the man accepted the job, his first question to his boss was, where are you going to get $200,000 per year? To which the man responded, that's your worry. That's your worry. So too bad worrying uh, is a job that you can't farm out, but you can't overcome it. And in fact, you can farm it out. You can farm it out to God. You can turn it over to him. And in fact, in our text, we're going to be reading here in just a few moments, three times, verse 25, 31, and 34, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Three times he says that in our text. I think he's trying to get a point across, isn't he? He's saying, don't stress out. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. These are not the commands of a drill sergeant, but the consoling of a devoted Savior who loves us. And these are the words of Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are to us from Jesus. God's will for your life is that you would not be anxious about anything, but that you would enjoy a life of serenity, strength, and satisfaction, unlike you've ever experienced before through Jesus Christ. So Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, precisely for you and me this morning to help us overcome whatever is making us anxious. So how, just by show of hands, how many have some things that make you anxious? A little anxious, got a little anxiety here this morning? Yeah, I think all of us could say, hey, I, we've got, I've got a number of things. I could give you a list, and you have a list, I'm sure. And so that's where we're headed. We're going to talk about how we can deal with our anxiety. How do we deal with worry? How can we really find that life of, of serenity, peace, strength, stability, and, and complete satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text and then unpack our notes. Father in heaven, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it tells us to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. In fact, the measure of your care for us is the sacrifice of your son and the measure of your power working in us, in, through, and for us is his resurrection from the dead. 
So, Father, teach us how to cast our burdens upon you. Just, just take a moment right now, just between you and God. What is it that you're most stressed out about today? Maybe this last week. Maybe it's given you some sleepless nights. What is it? Is it something that's relational? Maybe it's a marriage or lack thereof, or maybe it's parenting or the direction your kids are going. Maybe it's financial or job or career or health. Whatever it is, just, just between you and God, just say, hey, God, here, I'm going to give you this this morning. God, I need your help. So God, teach us how to cast our burdens upon you because you've promised in Psalm 55, 22 that when we do, you would sustain us and you would not allow us to be shaken. Show us your glory and show us and show your glory through our lives as you sustain and strengthen us to face anything, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. And so we're going to answer three questions this morning. What is worry? What is the cause of worry? A lot of times we don't get to the root. So we're going to get down into the root of what is causing my worry, my anxiety. And then what is the cure for worry? I think that just reading the text alone can be uh, unbelievably healing. These are the words uh, from our Savior. This is what he says starting in verse 25, chapter 6 of Matthew. Therefore... Therefore means because of what I've just said. And he just talked to us about how to connect with the Father through prayer. And he talked about laying not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but laying them up on, uh, on, in heaven. And he talked about where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. He talked about the eye is the lamp of the body. We talked about perspective. Talked about you can't serve two masters. And we'll certainly integrate this into the study here this morning because that's what he's saying. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? He's just saying, hey, worry is worthless. It really accomplishes nothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He's just saying, hey, you know what? That's just, it's a lack of faith. If you're anxious, you're lacking faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles or, or the unbelievers, these are people that aren't walking in vital union with me. These are people that don't know me. Seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, key verse. In fact, here's the cure to our worry. Let's read this together and aloud. You guys ready? Many of you have memorized this verse. How many have memorized this verse? It's, it's a great verse to, mem- uh, to remember, but it's important to understand. So this is what's going to keep you from worrying is because you're going to seek first his kingdom. So let's read it together. One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, so the cure to worry is seeking first his kingdom because you're probably seeking your own kingdom. Or you're seeking another kingdom, and that's why you're so stressed out. And so he's saying, hey, you know what? You want to eliminate the, the stress, the anxiety, the worry? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's going to take care of that for you. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. Don't stress out. He's, he, these are just consoling words to us this morning. Oh, my goodness, there's so many things that can stress us out. And he's just saying, hey, listen. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I love you. I'm here. I'm going to take care of you. Everything's going to be okay. Boy, how we need to hear that on a regular basis, don't we? And then verse 34, he wraps it up. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You're going to have enough worries tomorrow. Don't add worries of tomorrow 
with the worries of today and, and the struggles of today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's start off here. What is worry? And this is an interesting word. It's used actually four times in this text and, and multiple other times throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. Anxious. Mary, uh, the word is, uh, let me see if I can pronounce it. It's a Greek word, neo. And it's a compound of two Greek words, which means the first part of that, Maria, and neo, so Maria, is to divide. Neo is the, the mind, and so the idea here is that anxiety or worry divides the mind. That makes sense, doesn't it? So anxiety divides the mind. As I said, that word's used 20, verse 25, 27, 31, and 34. It's used also in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious. Don't, be, don't let your life be jerked around by all these different things. Have your mind divided. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he's given us insight there and counsel. Anxiety or worry divides your mind and energy between today's priorities and tomorrow's problems it doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow but today of its strength so let's try to understand this a little more clearly let me give you some fill in the blanks it is a perceived threat or danger to something important to you so it's a perceived threat or danger those are your two fill in the blanks to something important to you and this is what's interesting how many of you ever found that sometimes what you're worried about, especially those of you that are married or have a significant other, how many have found to be true that what you're worried about isn't necessarily what your spouse is worried about? Yeah. It's like, come on, suck it up. Shouldn't be worried over that stuff. You know, it's like for my wife, it's the grandkids and our kids and how they're doing and all that. And, and I'm worried about it. I'm like, come on, they'll, they'll be okay. They'll, you know, they'll grow another arm or leg or whatever. Um, and so we tend to, but it's, it really comes down to values, what's most important to you. Notice I use the word here, perceived, perceived threat or danger to something important to you. Perceived, uh, danger can be real or imagined. That's why we use the word perceived. When danger is real, anxiety can, can serve as a healthy warning as long as the anxiety isn't out of proportion to the threat. So even when you have anxiety, anxiety can be actually a good, good healthy warning. You know, they're having layoffs, you know, where you work. And so maybe you need to get your resume out, blow some dust off of it and get it out there. So that kind of anxiety would be good. But if you're freaking out, having sleepless nights, agitating everybody in your family, obviously your anxiety is out of proportion to the threat and you're not trusting God in that. When danger is imagined, it can be debilitating baggage keeping us from the fullness of life Christ came to give to us. So whether the threat is real or imagined, here's the next point. And this is often what happens with it, and this is part of that divided mind. It can cause you to be obsessed, driven, and preoccupied. Obsessed, driven, and preoccupied. Now let me walk you through the text to show you where, where I get this idea. Verse 25, did you notice he says, the very first verse, he says, do not be anxious about your life. And you get this idea that's almost like he, the way he's, he's talking and the way it's written down here is that, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? It's almost kind of like, ah, this uh, being obsessed. And then verse 26 the birds neither sow, reap, or gather in the barns. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, reap, or gather in the barns. That gives you that, that idea of being driven. I'm so driven. Got to make a living. 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Drive, drive, drive. Verse 28, he says, the lilies of the field, they neither. Did you notice how he described that? They neither toil nor spin. That's that worry. Toiling, spinning, Obsessed, driven, preoccupied. Verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And maybe that's not your list. It could be any other list that you have. What am I going to do? What is this? Oh, no. Matthew six twenty one. it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so uh, let's go back to what we talked about last week. And what it's saying there is that 
where your treasure is there, where your heart will be also. Heart, heart speaks of your, your mind, your will, and emotions. And so your treasure controls your heart. Whatever controls your heart controls your behavior. So your behavior is really controlled by something deep within you, a, a treasure, something that's really important to you. And that's why you're getting anxious, upset, or whatever it might be. And what's happening is that it's, it's having the controls of your mind really hijacked when you become preoccupied, when you're obsessed, when you're driven by any certain thing. I mean, I, I, mean, I could give you a list of all kinds of things. My, my daughter moved out, our youngest. She moved out and moved to Tucson. You know, and I struggled with all kinds of, she's, she's, she's a girl, she's single, she's there by herself. Oh, what could happen? And then, you know, don't dare watch any murder mysteries because they're, there are all kinds of bad, wicked, evil thoughts go into your mind, and you can freak out over that stuff. And constantly, I have to keep taking that back to the Lord. And then the same thing goes for, for the other the boys and their wives and the grandkids. And I mean, the list goes on of the things that we can obsess over. And so, what we have to do is we have to take captive every thought and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians ten five tells us that it's almost like sometimes we live. It's like living with the Jaws theme song running through your head. How many are familiar with the Jaws movie? You're old like me? Even if you're not old, how many youngsters know of the Jaws movie? Some of you that are young? Okay, some of you are young. Some of you aren't very young. You raised your hand and said, yeah, that's me. You're not very, you're, you're old, okay? You should know that movie. But, but if you go back and watch that movie now, it's kind of cheesy, isn't it? You're nuts. It's like, come on, these people are freaking out over this. This is so silly. But, but sometimes we live almost with that Jaws theme song in the background. What's going to happen? <laughs> you, know, I mean, you could freak out over all kinds of stuff. I think I do watch too many murder mysteries, though. Okay. I watched the one last night. And it was just really messed up. It was twisted. But... Uh, but it's just, it's really interesting. you guys watch that last night? That was weird. That gal got off. I couldn't believe it. That was just really messed up. Yeah, I think she killed that other gal. Just messed up. Okay, guys, lock the doors right now. So it can be, it can cause you to be obsessed, driven, or preoccupied. I mean, what do you feed your... I'll tell you what, I have to cut the news off. Because after a while, you are... You're going to sell out and go up into the mountains and store up some guns and food. This place is messed up. And, and then if you watch too much news, you're going to be so anti-government and anti-everything. I mean, after a while, it's just like, oh, it, it just works on you. And so what it does, here's the next one. It has a physical, psychological, and physiolog- or philosophical aspect. So it has body, soul, spirit aspect. The body, it can give you headaches, muscle tension, sleep deprivation, ulcers, high blood pressure. List goes on. And then um, soul, I mean, you just start getting these negative thoughts, emotions, actions. And by the way, I didn't always deal with this. I haven't always dealt with the stress well in my life. I feel like I've always had really stressful jobs. I was a welder out at Palo Verde for a number of years and Everything that they scrutinized everything. They x-rayed all my wells, and if you break too many wells, you're gone. You're out of here. And so the stress of that, and then I jump from the frying pan into the fire. I become a medic. Oh my goodness. These people's lives are in my hands. I don't want to kill anybody. And uh, I mean, and then and then even further, I get involved here with the church, and even more so, people's eternities, so to speak, are, are in your hands. And so I've always had these high stress jobs. I haven't always dealt with it. And it has created problems uh, physiologically and uh, even psychologically as I've had to work through those issues. Really, the suicide rate is really high among uh, people in the fire department, on the fire department, and uh, police department, too. I'm telling you, I know we got a number of uh, police officers and uh, fire department personnel that attend here. Let me tell you something. It's high stress, and you've got to learn how to deal with that stress. And I'm telling you what, you see a real dark side of life, and it will freak you out when you come home. You will just be overboard with your family. And if you watch too much TV and too many murder mysteries and too much news, after a while, you're just like, wow, this is crazy. And, and, there, and then you've got the element within your own life, the spirit aspects, so you've got body, soul, 
By the way, I, I said all that to say that it really messed up my marriage relationship and my relationship with my kids for many years because I didn't deal with that stress. I brought the stress home, and my wife had to talk to me about it. She was cool about it, but she wasn't so cool about it because she just drew the line and said, man, you're not dealing with stress very well. And I brought it home, and it'll create all kinds of social tension. You know, if you've got pressure on the job or wherever it might be coming from, you've got to deal with it. And then spirit, the spirit aspect is that there seems to be no rhyme or reason to pain and suffering. Causing questions, doubts, and fears. Things can happen to you. And you can do all the right things and still have bad things happen to you. And you're going, what? That's messed up. Guess what? We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And you're going to take some hits. And so that can spin your head around a bit. That can mess you up. And so that's what worry is. But uh, what is the cause? Let's get deeper. Let's go deeper into our heart. Here's the next one. So there's actually three things here that we could talk about. And in fact, this is the cause of all of our sin. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God, and typically it walks its way out like this. You can read more about this in Genesis chapter 3, because that's when uh, things get pretty ugly here with Adam and Eve, and we can see the pattern in their lives. But it starts with unbelief, moves from there to pride, and then to idolatry. And so really, worry is based on unbelief. God is going... uh, God is... God is going to get it wrong. In other words, that's the mindset. Did you notice what he said in verse 30? Oh, you of little faith. So worry is saying, Father, I know you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. But I'm not sure you know how to arrange my life. Do you hear the contradiction in that? See, that's what worry is saying. Worry is basically a daily text message to God saying, I don't think you have my best interest at heart. So it's unbelief. Hey, by the way, let me, let, me, let me help you to understand something. This is one of the enemy's biggest weapons against you to get you to chase after your own, what you think are your own dreams rather than the dream that God has for you is to get you to doubt God's goodness. Ah, he's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. You can discover it on your own. And... Uh, The next one is pride, and then immediately pride kicks in. It's trying to control the uncontrollable. Notice what it says in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So he's kind of, he's implying here. It's it's a bit implied, but he's saying, hey, you know what? You can't really control anything with worry. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. but, But in worry, you're trying to control the uncontrollable. Your doctor gives you a call after you've gone through your uh, annual doctor's appointment. What do they call that where you do your annual physical? Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, I'm kind of I can't even think this morning. I'm really worried about what people are going to say if I can't come in. Okay, it doesn't matter. He loves me. Okay, that matters. Um, but, uh, yeah, you go through your uh, annual physical, and the doctor says, hey, you need to call me as soon as possible. So what are you thinking? If you're old like me, you're thinking bad stuff. You're going, what? What is it? Tell me. I can't tell you. You have to come into the office and talk to me. <laughs> and, uh, and so immediately you're worried. Why are you worried? Because you're trying to control the outcome. You're trying to control the uncontrollable. Or your boss says, hey, we need to have a meeting. Come on, come into my office. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have a meeting. Come into my office. You can't sleep all night long. What's this meeting about? What am I going to do? So you're trying to control the uncontrollable. And this is what, I'm reading a book by Tim Keller right now, and I love it. I'm just kind of walking through it little by little. It's called uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in that book, he says, pain and suffering reveals that not only are we not in control of our lives, but that we never were. We never were in control of our lives. That's an illusion. We think we can manage everything. Hey, if I do all this, and, and you know what, I'm socking money away and I'm saving up for a rainy day and, and then the economy drops out from under us we lose our homes we lose our, lose our cars we lose all kinds of stuff we lose our jobs I mean there's all kinds of things that begin to happen that are totally out of our control you're not in control as much as you think you are that's, that's, uh, that's pride to think so and then the next one is idolatry building your life your identity on the temporal so this is what's the root of our worry 
And in verses 31 and 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And then we go back to the previous verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so what we're doing is that when we're worried, it's because we're laying up the wrong kind of treasures. We're not laying up treasures in heaven. We're laying them up on earth. He says, no one can serve two masters. Um, You're going to serve somebody... I think there was a song that came out a number of years ago. Who was the guy that wrote that song? Bob Dylan. Yeah. He wrote that song. He said, you're going to serve somebody. Everybody's going to serve somebody. Whether you would call it that or not, you have to live for something. And whatever that something is, is the Lord of your life, whether you would call it that or not. And the Bible says you can't serve two lords. You'll either serve God or you'll have another Lord in your life. And if what you most value is earthly, it's temporal, rather than heavenly, eternal, then you are setting yourself up for inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression. I said it last week. Let me say it again. You've heard it many times before. Treasure anything more than Christ, and it will control you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it, and devastate you when you lose it. And then I, I started thinking, what would be the reverse of that? Treasure Christ above all, and you can enjoy things without being enslaved by them. You'll never be dis- disappointed with the things of this world, of earth, because they are not your ultimate source of happiness, and therefore the threat of losing them will never devastate you. Um, I'm working, working on that one. I'm just, I'm working on really, because there's some things in my life that I treasure. I treasure my grandkids. I I could not even imagine the thought of losing my grandkids or my kids for that matter. I don't want to have to bury them. I want them to bury me. I want them to have to come to my funeral and cry hard. Okay. I, I mean, I don't want to do that, but there's, but I don't, I have control over that. I don't have control over that. I love my wife dearly. You guys know I do. We, I, I kind of spar a little bit with her up here, but let me tell you something. The best thing that ever happened to me, besides Jesus, is Nancy. And one of these days, I'll either be doing her funeral or she'll be uh, doing mine. She'll be standing over the casket. And if, if I'm her treasure and she's mine, we're going to be devastated. And I think, you know, she'll probably be remarried after about a week after I'm gone. <laughs> she's got a list. I'm kidding. But you, but, but you kind of work through that. My dad's here with my mom back here and. uh, his health has been going down the, down the tubes, but he's hanging in there. He's hanging. I don't know how much longer he's going to be hanging out with us. Before long, he's going to be going to be with Jesus. And so I've already been grieving that. I've been kind of working through that. And so you, you don't... And so the question is, is where are you laying up your treasure? Are you laying up treasure on earth? Then the things of this earth, when they are threatened, blocked, or lost, they're going to devastate you. That's just a fact. But I'm telling you, you lay up treasure in heaven. You make Jesus your ultimate treasure and therefore your ultimate pleasure. And he will give you what you need to get through whatever you're going through. I'll guarantee you. That's, what, that's, what, that's the point that he's getting at through this as you work through all of this. Martin Luther had a friend. His name was Philip Melanchthon, who was worried and full of anxiety. And uh, Martin Luther saw the anxiety all over Philip, and he said, Let Philip cease to rule the world. And sometimes we need to have people, our friends, come alongside and say, Hey, cease to rule the world, because that's what we're trying to do. See, that's the problem with the, the worry in our lives. We're trying to rule the world. We're trying to take God's place. It's unbelief. Pride, idolatry. It's all of that working within our heart. How many are familiar with the movie Rudy? Rudy, Rudy. And, and there's, a, there's a scene in the movie of Rudy where Rudy is, man, he is desperate to, to go to Notre Dame. And he's running out of time. Maybe he might not be able to make it. 
He's stressed out. He's worried. He goes into the chapel. He's sitting. He's praying. The priest walks in, says, Rudy, what's going on? He says, I am running out of time. I need help. Well, maybe you can pull some strings for me. Maybe you can do something for me. Maybe you can help me. And the, and the priest says something very profound. It's a very kind of profound statement in the movie. The priest says, there are two incontrovertible facts or two unchanging facts. There is a God and I'm not him. And that's what we have to remind ourselves. There is a God, and you're not him. And we've got to learn how to relax and turn it over to the God who loves us. That's, so what is the cure? Here's the cure. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Aim at heaven. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. And this is what he's saying. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? And this is what I found. This is what I found through the years of, of learning what this means. The splendor of his kingdom has made me bored with mine. And the more you get to know his kingdom and his righteousness, oh my goodness, everything pales in comparison. There's no greater satisfaction than knowing him and walking with him and experiencing him in your life. And it won't be long. You'll be bored with your kingdom. You're not going to be praying, my kingdom come. You'll be saying, your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's about your glory. And that's where I want to live. I want to live in the sweet spot of your glory because, because you are most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in you. And that's where I want to live my life. And so that involves two things, right thinking and right prioritizing. And this is, this is interesting because he says, first of all, right thinking. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds. And then in verse 28, consider the lilies. Those two words, look and then consider. What is he saying? He's saying, think, think, think about this. We tend to deal with anxiety by distracting, medicating, trying to turn our minds off. And, uh, but thinking is the foundation of faith. Anxiety is the absence of thinking. Faith is taking the word of God. This is what he's doing. Taking the word of God and arguing it into your heart specific to where you are anxious. Psalm 16, 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I'm not going to be stressed out. I'm not going to be worried. Why? Because God is always right there with me. He's leading the way. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I want him and his glory more than anything. There are three characteristics that you need to know, and I've taught this for many, many years here at Desert Breeze. And in fact, uh, Matthew 6, 22 through 23, remember last week we talked about this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Remember I was talking about that? Let me... Let me uh, Refresh your memory just a moment. When he says the, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. What is he talking about? What does he mean eye? And then the full of light. And then if your eye is not healthy or is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. What is he talking about there? Turn to the person next to you real quick, see if they know. What is he talking about there? Anybody remember last weekend? Okay, okay. Ask the person next to you. Okay, so what is he talking about? Your eye is the lamp. Your eye is the lamp. What is he saying? He's saying your perspective. How many were thinking perspective? Okay. Now listen to you. Listen to me. I know some of you, some of you have faced terrible tragedy in your life. All of us will face terrible tragedy in our life. It's inevitable. I don't know what you're thinking, but you're going to be bearing loved ones. It's just, it's just a matter of fact. It's going to happen. And so it's not the fact that we're going to face suffering and pain and difficulties. What's your perspective? Are you adding into that equation, this perspective, that God is for you and not against you? That's what he's saying. The eye is the lamp of the... What's your perspective? It's not. It's not the events of life that determine how you feel and respond. I am the way I am because, man, I've had some really bad stuff happen to me. So back off. That's why I need medicinal marijuana, man. 
Okay, that almost sounds sarcastic, doesn't it? I'm sorry. And people, there are people that actually really do need that, but, but sometimes people kind of use that as an excuse. Some people don't use medicinal marijuana. They use just like alcohol just to, to medicate. Don't do that. You don't need to medicate. It's because your perspective is jacked up. And man, if you understood who God is and what he's done for you, you don't need to get loaded. You don't need to try to change your your mind and distract yourself from all the pain and suffering. You can walk right through it because you know who it is that loves you more than anything, will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you. He is for you when you understand that. And that's just not a concept, but it's a reality deep in your heart. It makes all the difference in your life. That's what he's saying. And so uh, a comforting verse. In fact, uh, this verse is the verse uh, Bill just, uh, Bill Newsom. Is Tamara here this morning? Second service. Second service, okay. So uh, Bill just uh, battling cancer, if you guys know who Bill is. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's got slurred speech. They take him in. Oh, my goodness, he's got some, something going on in his brain, so immediately they have to do some uh, brain surgery. And so here's the verse that, as I was in that room, and, and let me just say, man, we, we have a great body of people who love Jesus. Unfortunately, they're, they've got a lot of equity here because they're connected in small groups. So they've got a lot of small group people and friends and people rallying around him. But here's the verse that, that came to mind where actually these two verses that I've got in your notes, Psalm 16, 8, and then Psalm 9, 9 and 10 says, God is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name, character, will trust in him because he has never forsaken those who trust him. So know his name, will trust in him. Well, I can't really trust God. I'm having a hard time trusting God. It's because you don't know him. See, the more you get to know him, spend time with him. The more you get to know him, the more you're going to trust him. Those who know his name. Here's three characteristics that have to do with his name, his character. God is perfect in love. God is infinite in wisdom. God is completely sovereign. So God is perfect in love. Verse 26, he says, are you not of more value? God is infinite in wisdom. Verse 32, your father knows that you need them. And then God is completely sovereign. Verse 26, your heavenly father feeds them. He's talking about the birds. Verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the fields. What? Yeah, God's sovereign. There's not one maverick molecule on this planet earth. So here's the deal. This is the point. In his love, he wants what is best for you. In his love, he wants what is best for you. That's his heart towards you. He loves you. In his love, he wants what is best for you. In his wisdom, he knows what is best for you. And in his sovereignty, and his power, he's going to do what's best for you. And uh, John Newton put it this way, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. If there is a God... Of course, he would know things that I can't know about what's best for me. Just makes sense. Romans 8, 28. How many have memorized that verse? For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How many things does he work together? Oh, what is that? What is that? Oh, oh, the good. Yeah, the bad, the ugly, the terrible, the difficulty, the tragedies of our life. All, all, all. How many are familiar with Genesis 50-20, 50-20 perspective? Remember Joseph? Probably, I think there's many examples of God's providential care, but I think that's one of the best examples in the scripture because you hear me refer to it a lot. Remember Joseph was, was, had his clothes ripped off of him, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers. And he goes from, from the pit to the, uh, to the palace, second in command of all of Egypt, God's, through God's providential care. His brothers show up on the scene, and he looks his perpetrators in the eyes, and he's able to say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How was he able to do that? Well, I was studying this the last few weeks as I've been working through Genesis, 
And um, I usually work through the Bible a couple times a year, and so I'm back at the front end again. And as I was working through this, I found this really fascinating, is that when he goes from pit, from prison to the, to the palace, second in command, he gets married, he has two kids. And you know what he names his first, his first two kids? I don't know if he has any more than that, but it says right here in Genesis 41, 51, and 52, his first son was Manasseh. And this is what his name means. For God has made me to forget all my hardship. Isn't that cool? And then his second son was Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Isn't that amazing? So no matter what you're going through, whatever you're facing, God is bigger. And he's greater and he's loving and he's working in your life, whether you see him working in your life or not. I love what Piper, John Piper has to say. God is at work through the worst of times doing a thousand things we can't see with our finite minds, things that only God can see. I also love what C.S. Lewis says. We're not doubting God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. How many would agree with that? It's like, ah, okay, God, what are you going to do? Help me. So we've got to have right thinking. We've got to drive these truths deep into our heart. Here's the next one. By the way, this is not, uh, this is not fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. He's sovereign. No, that's not what that is because look at this. It's also right prioritizing. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's telling us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Now, this gets into the whole struggle of, the, of man's uh, responsibility and the sovereignty of God. And, and, uh, and I, I left some scripture there. Acts 27, 21 through 32 is a great story of Paul. Remember when he was in prison and they were taking him uh, to Rome? And um, he was on a boat trip, and they had a terrible storm. God shows up and says, hey, guess what? You guys are going to crash, but everybody's lives are going to be saved. And so Paul tells everybody, hey, hang in there. This boat's going to crash, but none of us are going to die. And then shortly after that, a few verses after this in, in Acts 27, it actually says that some of the sailors decided to exit the boat prematurely. And Paul, uh, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship... They cannot be saved. What was he saying? Well, didn't, didn't you say that they were all going to be saved? No, no, no. He's saying if they stay on the boat and the boat crashes, that's part of what God's sovereign will is. But if they jump off the boat now, they're going to die. So you got this balance between the sovereignty of God and the, and the responsibility of man. You still have to be responsible. And, um, and so there's that combination in that story. I would encourage you to read it. Proverbs 21 uh, verses 30 and 31, it says, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory is in the hands of the Lord. And in that verse, you have this combination of be responsible, but guess what? Let God have that final say-so and let him call the shots. Let him write the script for your life. Be responsible, follow him, look to him, but ultimately surrender to him. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. Right prioritizing, persistently obey all that he commands, whether you agree or not. It's like, God, I'm going to follow you because you gave your life for me. You wrote down how you want me to live. This is out of your love and wisdom, so I'm going to follow you. Here's the next one. Patiently accept all that he sins, whether you understand it or not. Patiently accept all that he sins, whether you understand it or not. And here's the attitude that you need to have. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. I think he gives us a really a great model of how we should pray. You have a loved one that's dying of cancer. Maybe you're dying of cancer. This is what I would say. Ask diligently for God's healing, but surrender completely to whatever he may bring. That's what Jesus is saying here, and this is what Jesus did. So ask boldly, but surrender completely, and God will give God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's wise. He's all-powerful. He knows what is best for us. Patiently accept all that he sins, whether you understand it or not. But here's the most important right here. Passionately pursue him as your greatest pleasure, treasure in life and death, in all that life gives and all that death can take away. There's a great story found in Luke 10, 38 through 42. Maybe you're familiar with it. Mary and Martha bring Jesus over to their house. And in that story, Martha's just running around. In fact, it even says that, but Martha Stewart was distracted 
with much serving. Okay, the steward part I added, of course. But, uh, but Martha's just like, ah, she's running around. Sometimes we live our lives like that. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Sometimes we have to say it twice. You know, when we're all frazzled about life, ah, what are we going to do? Ah, Martha, come here, listen, listen to me. Martha, Martha, you are anxious. The same word right there that's used in, uh, in, in our text, that same word, our, our minds are divided. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. What was the good portion? What was Mary doing? She was being with Jesus. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. So here's the cure to, to worry. It's worship. It's worship. It's being captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. See, see, you are starving. You are starving for the greatness and the goodness of God. And that's what will see you through anything. When you're overwhelmed by life's trials, when you succumb to life's temptations, it's because you're out of touch with the greatness, his majesty, and his goodness. You've lost track of who it is that loves you more than anything. He gave his life for you. And so you got to you pray that deep into your heart. you got to get it way down deep into your heart. And that's, uh, that's what that story is all about. The essence of the Christian message is not, not behave. This isn't a lesson, a lesson in behaving differently. The essence of the Christian message is not behave, but behold. Behold. Behold the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. The cure to worry is worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Rest. Rest in him. Man, the more you get that deep into your heart, the more you're just going to be able to say, hey, don't worry. God, my life is in your hands. May I live for your glory. May I find my deepest satisfaction in you in the good days, bad days, whatever happens. Yeah, I'm going to be a responsible person, but ultimately, no matter what goes down in my life, I want to live for your glory. I want to put you on display. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, let me end with a story. This story really doesn't have much to do with this, what we just talked about, but then it, it does. It has kind of a, a lot to do with kind of the general of what this church is about, what Desert Breeze and why God. These are our marching orders. So, so why did I say all this? Why are we studying through uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount? Because, but God has placed us here. I mean, this is a beautiful place, beautiful venue, and God's, God's doing some wonderful things in our lives, but he wants us to make an impact in this community. And uh, I was looking at Dale and Teresa, who just got back from a missions trip. Praise God uh, for you guys. And we got so many other people that take missions trips regularly. And uh, there's so much stuff happening here because you guys have this heart. You want to let your light shine before men so they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I've got an example of this. I'm going to see if I can read this without crying. Because I was given uh, by Charlene Hillis, who's our, one of our administrators here with our church and oversees our, our school supplies drive and our food box, Thanksgiving food box drive and our angel tree. And we've been reaching out to Sunrise Elementary School for quite some time here. And I want you to hear just a little bit of why we're here, why we do what we do. And as we continue to reach this community, and as you reach the community where God has placed you, where you live, where you work with the gospel of Jesus Christ, good morning. I have a really great story to share with you. One of our third grade teachers was talking to their class about how important it is to help where you can, when you can, and that doing a little something nice for someone can change their whole life. As the discussion went on, they were being thankful for people that care for us, and several of the children were thankful for the people at Desert Breeze Community Church. Because three comments, this is they're, they're giving their reasons, three comments. They love all the kids at our school. Here's the second comment. They are always doing big things to help us. And here's the third comment from these little kids. They show, they care about us, and we should show them we care about them too. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, I, I had to stop reading it right there. It's like, ah. Oh. 
I was crying. And then uh, Scott was frustrated and grabbed it and said, here, let me finish reading that. He says, come on. He, well, I don't think he was frustrated, but he just said, I want to read the rest of that. So the discussion went on about the third comment in particular. So this class dedicated or decided to create a heart goal by collecting something to make a difference in someone's lives. When, when money was brought up to be what they collected, the teacher noticed she had several students very quiet in what was a lively discussion, so she took a break and talked with these little, these quiet kiddos for a minute, and it was discovered that they had no money to give, and they knew their parents didn't either. And as the teacher brought everyone back together for the discussion, she was going to try to have them collect something different, like box tops or pop tops. But the kids were really insistent on money. And when she explained to them all all how some children might not be able to help in that way, the kids chimed in saying, it's okay, we will give them some of our money to put in the collection so we can all help together. Isn't that awesome? This, of course, had several of us in happy tears because they really are learning how to turn what they are being given into helping others in more than just the act of giving. This is huge. So thank you so much for... Thank you so much for showing such generosity and love to our kids. Let's praise God. Oh my goodness. Guess what? You guys, we together are making an impact. So let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And worry is one of those areas where we don't have to worry. We don't have to stress out. In fact, I wrote this down. I was, I was looking at this. It says, for a child of God, there is confidence and boldness every day. We don't walk in fear of anyone or anything. Our Father owns the place. Stand with me. Let me give you a blessing, and then we're out of here. Next week, we're going to talk about relationships. Just in time for Thanksgiving. In the holidays, we'll be hanging out with uh, our loved ones and relatives. So we're going to be talking about relationship. The Bible really gives us some great insight on that. So here's, here's our verse. Uh, it's uh, Philippians uh, 4, 7, and 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.